Welcome to a form of acknowledgement, homilies, teachings, and reflections with Father Jeremiah Volman, an Orthodox Christian priest, exploring the theanthropic life, the intersection between the created and the uncreated, the human and the divine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Beloved in Christ, it's good to be here together again, worshiping God. We're in the season of the Feast of the Presentation of our Lord in the Temple. We had the beautiful service is on Monday evening for Tuesday's feast. We reflected on once again the reality that God became truly became man in the person of Jesus Christ to express his humble love for us. Once again we see him not proving that he transcends the law but proving that he's humble enough to fulfill it. After 40 days, he was presented to the temple by his mother and by his, whom we call his foster father, Joseph. We reflected on the beautiful patience of Simeon, the God receiver. When I think of St. Simeon, I like to think about the fact that He waited on the Lord and he accepted the privilege that it is to wait on God. And then he prophesied about who this little child was and is a light to lighten the Gentiles, the one who came into the world to reveal God to us, yes, and also to reveal who we are because we only know who we are in light of the realization of who God is. It's been a beautiful season and we continue to sing the beautiful Apolitikion, Troparion for the feast, which I encourage everyone to continue singing in their homes. Rejoice, O Virgin Theotokos, who art full of grace, for from thee did shine the Son of Justice, Christ, who is our God, a light to lighten those in darkness. Rejoice and be glad, O righteous old man, bearing in thine arms the deliverer of our souls who grants the world resurrection. Get it stuck in your head and sing it often. Today we have again the Word of God revealed to us in the inspired words of the Holy Scripture. A challenging but also quite relatable parable that the Lord gives us. The parable of the talents. Today's reading was from the Gospel of Matthew, but the parable of the talents also appears in the Gospel of Luke. And of course we hear of this um, property owner, landowner, who entrusts certain measures, sums of wealth to three of his servants. The talent at that time was the largest unit of measurement. For money, did you know that? 
It's about 75 pounds. Heavy, a heavy sum. And it was said to have been worth about 20 years of the average worker's wages. So even the one who was given relatively little was given quite a bit, actually. We could riff on that a little bit. The man going on the journey in this, the, the landowner, is Christ. We become a little troubled when we hear what the unfaithful servant says to, about Christ and to the owner um, toward the end, which we'll, bring, we'll shed a little light on. Um, this parable is about what we do with what we've been given by God. In the Gospel of Luke, the term used for the, the money given and trusted was mina, which was a smaller amount of currency. But it's handy that in English we also have the word talent that we use for ability, special ability, unique ability that, that a person has. And of course, we see as those who have a very, very high view of the human person, a high view of the human person and a very hopeful view of, those, of the human person as being the one who was created by God for him, whose, whose very image is indelibly marked within us. That's what defines us. And so we understand that any good and perfect gift comes from him. Any treasure or any talent, any ability comes from him. And so it's easy then to reflect on this idea that we've been given something. What should we do with it? And that's, that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Each person is given talents and abilities by God and acts upon them. Using them is what leads to the multiplication of them. Think about how the apostles through Christ accomplished the multiplication of the loaves and fishes in the wilderness. How did the, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes take place in the wilderness? By breaking and distributing what had been given to them. Say, so I'm not, well, what if there's not enough for me? Of course, Christ said, feed them. And they said, what are you going to do? And he helped them out along the way. But the point is, by breaking the bread and distributing the fish, then what they were given was multiplied. What they were left with was a greater abundance than what they even began with. And then I like to think about how the apostolic church grew. How did that little band, that little unlikely band of unlettered fishermen, how did that church grow? Through the distribution of the gospel in both word and deed, that's how the church grew. Surely not through the burying of it. Ah, oh, we have the truth. Let's meditate on it and keep it to ourselves for the rest of our lives. Let's take the light that we've been given and hide it under a bushel. We don't want anyone to get say it's too, oh, that's a little too bright. We don't want to offend them or something like that. No, because we understand that Christ is the light of the world. 
He's the one who gives the light that illumines and grants warmth. The revelation of the true calling and meaning of humanity. If we've been given such a gift that is not meant to be kept, but to be distributed even further, which I say that we have, then we have a lot to learn from today's parable. I want you to hear the teaching of one of the church's commentators regarding the gifts that God has given. He says that if God has given gifts to us, if we're sober and vigilant, we multiply these gifts. But if we are lazy and deaden ourselves by our own choice, later we put the blame on God. We put the blame on God as did the third servant in today's gospel reading. Will we say, as we so often do, what can I do? Such and such a man is holy, someone other than me. It's because God wants him to be holy, and so he is. But does he not want me to, he does not want me to be holy, so I'm not. Some are born Peter and some are born Paul. I was not. Can you relate to that at all? That mentality? I'm not Peter and Paul, I'm just some little. God didn't choose me like he chose someone else. Like when we read in the lives of the saints, oh, I'll never be like that. He goes on to say, oh foolish man, the single talent which you received can make you a Peter or a Paul. Labor hard, bring in some yield for the giver, even if it's less than Peter and Paul brought. That's okay. You have received the very same gift as Peter and Paul. If they received a pound, you also received a pound. But then did not bestir yourself at all to labor for good. Why do you blame God? And so you see the interpretation of that second one saying, of God, you are an unjust man was a projection of the insecurity. The blame that we often place on God. The one who withheld in this story did not have a selfish Lord, but rather projected his fear and insecurity and blamed him. As if to say, how could you have burdened with me, me with this responsibility to begin with? It's your fault. Your fault I didn't succeed. You know, I didn't choose to be born and go through all of this. Hey! But it's, it's actually as if the man was saying, you're the one who created me to love, and I don't want to. I don't want to love. I think that's at the essence of today's story. God, you created me to love, and I don't want to. Do you remember a man named Judas Iscariot from the apostolic band? Have you heard of him, Judas? Do you remember him? Yeah, I do. We call him infamous, you know? A very, very, he betrayed Christ, that's right. He did. And so, what kinds of treasures was he given? Surely more than a pound or a talent, or five talents or ten talents. He was given to be a part of that 
original holy and apostolic band of disciples of Christ. What did he do with what he was given? He became jealous. He became envious. He, be he tried to possess that which was never meant to be possessed. He tried to hold on to what was never his to begin with. I like to remind myself and others often. There is nothing in our life that truly is our own. Everything is God. The only thing that is uniquely our own is our sin. Uh-oh. Everything else is meant to be shared in love. Everything. And so in contrast to Judas, I want to share a story about someone who I think did multiply his talents. A man who had nearly nothing but multiplied it a thousandfold and even more in his own household. I don't... I could tell you about him for the next hour, so I'll try to pace myself. Be careful here not... Try to be focused. But there's a man I want to tell you about. There's a book called Ascetics in the World. People who would have gone other, uh, unrecognized. There are many, many holy people who, who have lived and have gone unrecognized. And I think they actually probably like it that way. They don't want the credit. They want God to have the credit. But in an effort to bear witness to the fact that the grace of God does work in and through even the clay of this earth of which we are made, we continue to hear beautiful stories of those who have been reanimated by the grace of the Holy Spirit and become lights to the world, who become living Christs. I think Father Elias would tell me to shush up if I told him I was going to talk about him on Sunday. But I want to share with you a little bit about Father Elias Viamendides, who lived in the, the beginning of the 20th century. Just a little bit about him. And if you want to read more about him and many others, you can dig into this book called Ascetics in the World. He was born into a, a poor family, Father Elias. And after giving her children a firm foundation in the faith, his mother passed away. She had three children. And his father remarried to a woman who was wicked and abusive. And so as a child, Father Elias was, was abused harshly. And there, there's some detail about the terrible tortures that, that she did to him. And He decided not to reveal the ugliness of his mother, it says. But it's important for us to know that there are others who were broken, who have tread this path before us, who have, who have undergone unspeakable things that we don't, under, we don't understand why they've happened at times. Senseless suffering, even. But he bore all things with great forbearance. And he became a gracious young man, growing up and loving God. Due to financial difficulty, he didn't go to school and he did not learn to read. He was illiterate until he was 17. He worked as a tinsmith. And 
Then when he was 17 years old, his parents, being poor and somewhat avaricious, wanted him to marry a wealthy 30-year-old woman. Can you imagine trying to marry off your son to a 30-year-old woman because of her property? That, well, maybe there's our retirement. But he didn't want to live that way. So he snuck off the night before he was to be married and found a godly young woman that he ended up marrying. And they lived very poorly. And he worked as, um, as a baker. With, he didn't want anything. He just wanted God and his wife and, his, and to live a life of love. And then God blessed them. God blessed them. God started blessing him with material wealth, with an abundance um, as a result of his faithfulness. And what did he do with it? He did not fill his pockets. He used everything he could to secretly help the hungry. This was a time during which Christians were persecuted and sought after. He lived in Asia Minor, south of the, the, um, the Black Sea. And so he, had, he even had Turkish women help him out to, in order to conceal the, the work that he was doing. And he transported food to needy homes. He and his wife had six daughters and they loved God very much. Eventually, through a miracle, he learned how to read and write and he became an iconographer. And... He offered hospitality virtually to anyone who would come his way. It's said that he and his wife often competed in trying to be more charitable. They would walk around and learn who was in need, and at night they would send satchels of flour, cheese, and fruits to widows, orphans, prisons, and institutions. What can we do? What can we do? One night, an orphan who they were raising in their home saw his wife going out secretly and asked, What are you doing? Be at peace, she said. I'm just going out to milk the cows. In the middle of the night, I'm taking milk to the prisons, she said. Elias, before he was a priest, saw St. George in his sleep. And he often, you know, those who didn't have internet and TV, who were Christians before our time, often had friendships with the saints. They had a, an incredible intimacy with those who had gone before them. And one day, while Elias was digging on his property, his pickaxe got stuck, and he found a, a little wall. He grabbed his chisel and dug out, and he carefully revealed three sides of a church and a well-preserved fresco of St. George. And so he built a church in his backyard on his property. And he covered it so that from the outside it looked like a haystack. So that it would not raise communist suspicion. He struggled very much. And by his example, he urged others. He woke up at three in the morning to pray. It said that he would also get his family up in the morning to pray, but he would wait until 3.30 so they could sleep in a little bit. 
And of course, you know, if you've lived in a farm or if you've baked, you know, I mean, I used to go walk the streets early in Seattle when I lived down there and I'd see the bakers wide awake. They'd been baking throughout the night. And if he did not wake on time, St. George would nudge him and wake him up. Eventually, he was asked to become a priest. And he was ordained and he served liturgy wherever he could, out in the chapels in the, side, in, in the hillsides and countrysides, and also in his little chapel in his backyard in the middle of the night. And the Christians would come in the middle of the night. They couldn't serve services publicly like we can, even with our current restraints. They had to go in the middle of the night to, to worship God together. Huri and I often say, well, we, we're not worshiping in a haystack yet. We will if we have to, though. We will. We'll ask for Father Elias' prayers. He ate very little, and one of the things I wanted to say about him and about the multiplication of his talents is that he, as a result of his prayer and his reliance on God, God saw that he was one who had non-possessiveness, and through him his talents could be multiplied. Those who are seeking to possess nothing of, them, of themselves and of their own see it as their primary task to pour forth from themselves and to love the world in whatever way God would have them love the world and seek no credit for themselves. And so through Father Elias, God began to pour forth an abundance of miracles, healings. People would come to him. They heard about him. Hey, you hear about that priest? The haystack one? Yeah. Well, don't tell anyone about the haystack. But... Did you hear about him? People go to him and they receive prayers and they are healed. People would seek him out. And guess what? He would make the sign of the cross over Christians and they would be healed. And guess what? He would make the sign of the cross over Muslims and they would be healed. And he would make the sign of the cross over Armenians and they would be healed. He distributed the grace of God without discrimination. They say, oh, you, you Orthodox? Okay, okay, good. He prayed for all. And he became a living font of healing by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, you know, they didn't want Christians to get much attention in that time. They were trying to eradicate Christianity, but they could not, the authorities could not deny the fact that this man was doing good for their community and bringing people together. So they would beat him and put him in jail. Then he would crawl back and serve the liturgy. And actually, even some of the, those, um, the Turks, the Muslims, who received healing would do what they could to try to preserve his safety. There's a little story about a Turkish man named Hussein who lived at his daughter's house and a police administrator lived next door to them. His wife was mad and they bound her in chains and he took pity on them, Hussein did, and told them that there's a man who could heal his wife. Father Elias went to his house and he said they should bring the sick woman out. And for 12 days, for 12 days, 
in a row, he prayed for her, making the sign of the cross until she was healed. His gift became known everywhere. Armenians, Russians, Georgians, Turks would come. He would read prayers over them. He knew their hearts. He would reveal to them the source of their problems. He knew whether or not they would be cured before he said prayers for them and entrusted them to God's providence. He had been through a lot. He lived a very difficult life. And on the outside, poverty-stricken, weak, skinny, poor, nothing, nothing really to show for himself. An abundance of riches in the kingdom of heaven. Eventually, as he aged, he had a hard time walking, and so they would carry him to the church. They would carry him to the church to serve the services. Imagine me, weak and frail, and my wife and kids carrying me in, bringing me up to the church, and I can barely get up there. And then, like a dead man, he would be, but at prayer time, it was his divine power would enter his weak body. And he would ask to be taken to St. George, the church that he had built in the haystack. And he would pray orthros, midnight hours, orthros, liturgy. Three hours he would liturgize and commune people who would come in the snow. I could have said a lot more about him, by the way. On December 6, 1939, on the feast of St. Nicholas, Father Elias delayed he didn't get up as usual at 3 a.m. St. Nicholas, who loved him very much, had often appeared to him and conversed with him. And he came that day drenched in light and woke him up with a gentle, caressing pat. And Father laughed aloud with gladness. And in his final days, he remained bedridden. And in July 1946, he reposed venerably with great peace. They buried him, and then from the place, from, from his tomb, started flowing forth an abundant fragrance. They removed the, the slab from the top of the tomb where he had been buried and saw that his body had remained supple, as many of the saints have, and was streaming myrrh. People started flooding there to seek his intercessions and his prayers and to receive healings. And the authorities, even though they had known him very much, and even some of them tried to help preserve him, they couldn't have crowds of Christians gathering. So they forbade people from going there. And at some point, they went back to check on the relics, and his tomb had been plundered. Someone had taken his relics, his precious body, out of the tomb in hopes that the no more would be gone would be drawn to Christ but here we are talking about him now father elias and the talents the talents did he even have one talent maybe maybe not at the beginning did he even have a mina i don't know did, maybe not even a drachma maybe he didn't have anything i mean what he had was the gift of a heart created to do the service of God. 
I have a lot more that I'd like to say. But what I want to say is ultimately that remember this, beloved. Each has been given gifts according to the grace that's given to us. Remember the words of the Holy Apostle Paul. Whatever's been given, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us do it and use it in ministering. Whoever teaches, if you're a teacher, use that ability in teaching. Whoever exhorts, let them use that gift in exhortation. He who gives, give with generosity. If you lead, lead with diligent, diligence. If you show mercy, show with cheerfulness. Often it's our fear of loss and of losing what's been given, I think, that prevents us from multiplying the talents that we have been given. So I'm going to ask you, beloved in Christ, one, try to be aware of what it is that you're afraid of losing. If it's a worldly attachment, maybe you need to lose it so that you can multiply the talents that you truly have that need to be multiplied in your life and throughout the world. What are those things that God has given you that you're trying to withhold? And then what is the greatest gift? What is the greatest gift of all? Anyone? Greatest gift? Love! Love! It's like, when, yeah, every time I ask, it's like, what does he want me to say? Love! Yeah, Christ. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Truth. Wait a Love. Love is the greatest gift. And remember the sublime words of the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read the whole thing, but I won't read it all. Just remember. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and if I have not love, I've become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. No matter what gifts you have, those are secondary to the primary gift that is available to all. If I have everything, if I can move mountains, if I can even raise the dead, I have nothing if I do not have love. And what I want to posit today to you is that you have all been given this talent. We've all been given this talent. I hope that if you're here, it's because you know that God loves you, that he's reached into your heart and revealed not just something about himself, but something about you, something that's deep inside about who you are, a calling that you do have, a frustrating one, difficult. It's time for us to stop blaming God for giving us such a burden and to glorify him for giving us such a gift. I want you to remember Father Elias as an example. I want you to remember this week the parable that the Lord has given us. And then I want you to ask as often as possible, how will I love today? How will I love today? How can I love right now? Lord, guide me on this sublime path of true freedom as I descend to the depths, placing myself below all others in order to identify with your perfect selflessness. Another way to ask how will I love is how might I die to myself? 
How can I go low in order to lift others up? Because truly this is the way of Christ and it's the greatest act of freedom. And to ask how can I love right now is the gateway also to the ultimate creativity. Reveal to me, Lord, in what ways? Do through me what I don't even know if I'm capable of doing. Grant me the, the courage to risk loving others in a way that brings no credit to myself. It becomes the most creative endeavor. I pray that God inspires me with such creativity and inspires me to inspire you to live the love of God so creatively in the world to draw others to Him and to bear witness to Him. Be ready to be surprised. Love knows no bounds. Remember Father Elias and his ministry, ministry even to those who persecuted Christians. Set out, beloved in Christ, with the small amount you have been given. Be humble. Okay? I haven't been given much. That's okay. Good. Perhaps you feel like you haven't been given much. Good. Then you can't blame God for giving you too much. A little seed planted that you can multiply in abundance by the grace of God. Perhaps you're not Peter. Perhaps you're not Paul. In fact, you're not. You're you. You are you. And you must know that this is who God has given you to be. Amen.